everybody. Welcome to Selling Out with Dino Pataccio and Michael Casper. My name is Michael Casper. And I'm Dino Pataccio. And uh, welcome to our first show, guys. Welcome. Thank you for listening. If there are any of you listening, we don't know because that's not how the internet works. Um, <laughs> but we're really excited to be uh, recording this, aren't we, Dino? Oh, yeah. We're thrilled. We're, uh, we're recording it here in South Philly. Um, Michael and I are roommates, yeah, and we live we together. We've lived together for a little over a year. We just signed our second. This is lease number two. Lease number two. This is where things go wrong. Oh yeah, this is where we like start <laughs> to hate each other, and it's yeah, it's oh yeah. But but like, no, for right now we've got the podcast. So so we, the podcast we at is least the have thing. To pretend to whole, like each yeah, other. we got to pretend each other to like each other for you guys, the all three fans of the show. Uh, uh, yeah, so today yeah. <laughs> we're going to have Dante Green on the show. Dante is a good friend of ours, um, playwright, musical theater composer, songwriter, musician. Multiple bands. He plays like a million art. instruments. <laughs> he plays like nine instruments. Yeah, he plays like yeah. nine instruments. He's just an artistic renaissance man. We're thrilled to have him on tonight. Um, uh, but yeah, before yeah. before we get into... Before we get to the him, or before we get to our guests, let's, let's take a second to talk about who we are. And, like, you know, every two white guys hosts a podcast. We're two white guys hosting a podcast. And why should you listen to us have a podcast? Why do we need to do this? Who are we? Why are we here? What? what because we're important? interesting as fuck. That's why. We are, yeah, we're interesting <laughs> as fuck. We are, um, or we like to think. We probably aren't. But, like, you know, we're both we egomaniacs. We definitely aren't. Um, and we like to think that. So, Dino here is a musician and songwriter and music director and does all things music. And he has this really awesome band that he's been working with for the past, uh, would you say, like what, year and a half? Yeah, year and a half. Year and a half. Um, since when did you guys kind of like first come together? So we came together, um, well, we've been, f- we were friends for a lot longer than we actually had yeah, started yeah, yeah. a band. Who's, who's in kind of the, the band? Who are, who are the players? You know, so the, pl- the steady players the steady are um, my good friends, Zach, uh, Pat, Tim, and Mike. Uh-huh. Um, I met Zach first. Uh, Zach and I have been friends since the very beginning of college. Um, so about like what? About three years. About three, yeah, about three years now. Three we years. met, yeah. yeah, we met right at. He was there when I moved in because he was my roommate's best friend. Uh huh. Um, so just right off the bat, uh, Zach was a part of my life as soon as I got to college. Yeah, and he is the. He is the guitar player the in the band, in the band. as and well as like the music director for music the group. Music director, he's like your right hand. He's your right he hand is. Guy. He's yeah. my guy, which is so funny because Patrick's nickname on stage is the right hand man, yeah, but it's like, actually it's actually the other guy. <laughs> Patrick just like runs around the stage and, like, and makes sure everything goes right. Oh, right. <laughs> so like sure he's also the right hand man. You have two right hands. And yeah, that's I do. Really sweet in your band, which is called Dino Pataccio and the Intruders. It's um, yeah, really cool group. Um, so yeah, we started uh, we started out last February, uh-huh. and the the story there was I had I play piano and I've played piano since I w- could pretty much nice, since I was right. old enough to figure out what a piano was and how it worked. Uh-huh. Um, I've sort of always noodled around, and I've for the most part I'm self taught. I took lessons for a few years, but everything that I use in the band has come from not so much from lessons, but from being in high school and wanting to be Billy Joel when I grew <laughs> up. 
Um, Q scenes from an Italian restaurant. Q. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the first ones that I yeah, that I no, learned. it always is. Um, so yeah, we started out. Um, I actually was appearing uh, with Zach's Zach and Pat's cover band. Uh-huh. Which um, is, what was it called? It's called No Commitment. Okay, and they're they're still around. They're, oh, nice. It's seldom gigs, uh-huh. but it, when they play, it's a lot of fun. Nice, nice, nice. Um, and I started they're also based in kind of the Philly, Jersey area, right? Yeah, okay. South Jersey, South mm-hmm. Jersey, um, Cherry Hill. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so I started out with just playing with them. Um. I would front on a few songs um, because it's actually the first time that I played with them. It was because Zach was sick and couldn't yeah. sing. So you got to like uh, come so in. I, and I got to come in and sing all the sing, songs. Sing that all I the songs to. and save the day. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. you know what? I think I might be pretty good at this. Yeah. After a few times, it yeah. definitely. The first time I was nervous, but it also was a lot of fun. Right. Because I imagine, um, like, you know, there's a part of you that's like, you do something that, like, you know, your friends have been doing, and you go, oh, like, I could do this. Why am I not doing this? And then, like, you do it, and now here we are, right? Well, that, that, was, the, that was the thing is yeah. that, you know, I, when I was in high school, I didn't know anybody who had a band uh-huh. of their own. Oh, I wow. did not know a single high school band. And then I met people my age who had a band, and I was like, oh. oh you can do this? Yeah. And do it well? Why not? Why not, yeah. So, um What's kind of the the makeup of your band? How would you kind of describe it? The music, the people in it. You know, where where what kind of music do you guys play? Like, go go all for it. What, 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 for sure. Well, we're what's a, your deal? Well, we're what I like to classify as a New Jersey rock and roll soul band. Um, and the reason I emphasize New Jersey is because there is a very specific brand of music that uh-huh. comes from a very small pocket of the state of. New Jersey, uh, which is New Jersey, America's armpit. Uh, the armpit. Of America. <laughs> you know, I was gonna make that joke, but then I decided to be nice since it was our first episode. But then you made it for me, so I didn't have to. Oh yeah, as a as a semi proud New Jersey resident, right? Because um, it's like you know, I'm from Connecticut, <laughs> so like Connecticut is just New Jersey, but like just a little nicer. Right. So it just it just feels like that much more like condescending. Yeah, you know, coming from, from me for somebody. Yeah, it's like this <laughs> this state that I live in is kind of of America versus <laughs> me, like you know, from you know, uh, Vineyard Vines, Connecticut, being like, uh, New Jersey. Yeah, I love New Jersey. I was there this morning. <laughs> New Jersey. I had a great time in Jersey this weekend. Um, but no, so yeah, we yeah, yeah. so New Jersey What's produces a, a very specific brand of music, which is this. Rock and roll band with a really punchy, loud horn section. Um, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes was really the first New Jersey rock and roll soul band. And then uh-huh. from there, now, we now got... From, uh, yeah, no. For, so for people who like aren't like as you know honed in on this kind of music, like who are, who are those guys? Because I know that those guys are really important to you. Yes, so they're my favorite band oh, okay. ever. Right. Um, and... Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes were a band that formed in the early 70s. Um, there was a guy named Johnny Lyons, who is Southside Johnny. Um, and he really liked soul music, and he really liked blues music, and he really loved horns. And he had, he had a friend named Steve Van Zandt, uh-huh. who would help arrange horns and help do band arrangements. And Southside Johnny would sing songs and play harmonica. Uh And then it ended up being a whole band, and there was a club that opened in 1974 called The Stone Pony, um, which is since then is a pretty much a historic landmark. Um, And, 
yeah, Southside Johnny was hired. Southside Johnny and his band, the Asbury Jukes, were hired as the first house band at the Stone Pony, and they played twice a week, five hours a night, which is that's so much. Yeah, <laughs> that's so much. Boy. Yeah, uh, twice twice a week. Um, and they, you know, they were the house band for years, and they eventually ended up being a recording band, and. Then they became friends with a guy named Bruce Springsteen, who is also from that area. From who, that t- you know. yeah, Asbury Park, New Jersey. It's a bu- it's a small little beach town in New Jersey. It's about a mile uh, a mile and a half. Um, and yeah, they became friends with Bruce, uh-huh. and then Bruce started writing songs for them, and started writing songs of his own. And Bruce's career took off. Right, because nobody knows who Bruce Springsteen is. Who's he? <laughs> Who's he? Um, um, and then since then, you know. The Jukes have been kicking, and Bruce has really been kicking, and other great bands have come out of the Asbury scene. You know, Bon Jovi came out of yeah, Asbury yeah, Park. Yeah. So shout out to Nana, the biggest my Nana, the <laughs> biggest Bon Jovi fan <laughs> in the universe. I love the fact that your grandmother loves Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, I think it's so cute. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you know that sound really kind of became an influence. So. It you, became a heavy influence yeah, for yeah, me yeah, at yeah. a time at at the time of my life where I decided uh, to start a band. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Um, now you had just kind of gone through a little bit of a change in your life when you started the band. Is that yeah, right? It was so kinda, a lot I was, of things happened kinda all at once. Right? Yeah, so I um I was living in a house. I had moved out of the dorms after my freshman year of college and I was just sort of bouncing around. Uh-huh. And I ended up living in a house in Oakland, New Jersey for about six months and then I moved out of there to move in with my girlfriend at the time's mother um, in Horsham, Pennsylvania. And this was my first time ever lot not living in New Jersey. And dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, as much, as much as I love to talk shit on my home state, I do love it. And uh-huh. it's a very yeah, much a part of who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I started the band, and we actually played our first show Four nights after my move, oh, so wow. it was super fresh. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, we played in a basement in Magnolia, New Jersey. We played for a half hour. Mm-hmm. Um, we played some original songs. We played a few covers. Um, and then since then, the band really took off, and we we hit the club scene uh-huh. pretty quickly after that. Right. Um, we started playing the clubs in Philly. Um, we've been lucky enough to play World Cafe Live, and we've been looking to get on a show there again. Um, um, we've also, you know, traveled. We've uh-huh. done. We've done. You were just in Long Island a few weeks. Yeah, ago, we yeah. were just at Long Island City Bar in Long Island uh, two months ago. We played uh, pianos uh-huh, in, in, that's in Brooklyn. It's in Manhattan. Manhattan. It's on the oh, Lower okay, East gotcha, Side. Gotcha. It's like right by NYU. Okay, cool. Um, and we were fortunate enough on on both of those shows to have a band called the Slim Kings. Now, they're like a favorite of yours. They're like a newer band. Yeah, they're a newer favorite of mine. Um, and But they the have like a... Well, all right, you, I'll let you talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's a three-piece band, uh, and they're a Brooklyn rock band featuring Liberty DeVito, uh-huh. who, is Billy jo- who was Billy Joel's drummer for 30 years. So all the iconic Billy Joel songs. Uh-huh. The guy playing drums on him is Liberty DeVito. Uh-huh. And, and he's in guy- this band, and yeah. you got to play a couple of shows with him. And yeah, and yeah. I got to hang out with, you know, I've been listening to Billy Joel forever. So right. You know, like you said, like going back, you know, like to the beginning of the show, and you were like... Oh, I just wanted to be like Billy Joel and like, you know. I did. Play, I just play, wanted to be the piano guy. Right, play the piano guy. You just <laughs> want to be the guy where it's like you're at the party and like you walk in and you're like, 
oh, does anybody know how to play scenes from an Italian restaurant on the piano? And meanwhile, Dino goes, I do. You know, that's the dream, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also, like... And he was the guy who was playing drums on the song. And now, like, you know each other. And, and it's like this whole Yeah, thing. we have we have a picture together. Oh, and great. Exactly. And he, yeah. he, we're friends on Facebook. Which and is, we're like, gonna, you know, big deal. Yeah, we're going to play... We've exchanged messages. We're going to play a few more shows together, I'm sure. I'd also uh-huh. love to have the Slim Kings on the podcast at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, I've gotten to hang out with some really cool people, um, and we you know we've traveled out to New York, and we've played. We also have played the Stone Pony. Yeah, talk which to I mentioned about earlier. Kind of your experience playing there because you played there like what four times now. Yeah, this last time was our fourth. fourth time, so we yeah. played. Um, we played there for the first time in October, um, and then w- it was a part of a contest. The Stone Pony every year they do a Rock to the Top contest, which is basically. Battle of the Bands, yeah, but glorified. Because it's the Stone Pony. Because it's the can. Stone Pony, and also because it's 81 bands, and it takes an entire year uh-huh. to decide yeah. who wins it. Yeah, and um, there were, so there were three different rounds of the competition. Yes, there were. And of the whole competition, you came in... We came in third. You came in third yeah, place. Yeah, so it started out with 81 bands, we came in third. third. Yeah, not bad. Not, <laughs> thank you. Not bad at all. Uh, and... So you got a chance to play there uh, three times. So the f- yeah, the first three times we played twenty-five minute sets. It was about five songs each set, and it was all a part of the contest. Yeah, that, that third time was the first time I heard you guys play live. That's was, right. Yeah, it was a really exciting. Yeah, show. and that was that was right at we were coming off of a few things at that point, which yeah. we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, but I actually was really lucky um, this this past weekend. I was able to play on a show with Remember Jones, who, who is are an a, amazing band. Yeah, they're incredible. Who they're love. they're a band that has a bunch of original music, but they're also, you know, they're widely known for their themed cover shows. Uh-huh. Um, and my good friend Anthony, a uh, good friend of the show, uh-huh. um, is um, is the front man and band leader for that. And he's a really cool guy. He actually came up and... Uh, Sang had a, song a little with cameo guys. with us. Yeah, yeah. no, he sang a song with you guys at the show. They, so remember, Jones, they went first, and then the second And then the, the second band, yeah, the headliner was Southside Johnny, Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, which was super exciting yeah, for me. Yeah, so like the, I was there, I was at the show. They had um, the big summer stage out in like what the parking lot, right? They turned the parking lot into like yeah. the big, huge outdoor concert venue. So they both played outside, and then the idea was that uh, all those people left, and then you're like... At, you played after, like, actually in the club from, like, what, like, 11 to 12, you know, after the show ended, uh, right? 10.30 to 11.30, 11.30. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, it was far and away the most fun I've yeah, ever had I on stage. <laughs> yeah, no, it looked like it was It was a really good show. And, like, so all the idea being, like, okay, all the people, the show's over, all the people are walking out, and then, like, you just start playing, and, like, now all the people are like, wait a minute, I, who are these guys? <laughs> That we are Dino Pataccio and the Intruders, and right, we yeah, are here yeah. to fuck up your night. Um, <laughs> uh, and no, we had a great time, and the room was full, and the room was yeah, really was alive a, the whole crowd, night. Yeah. Um, over 3,000 tickets were sold to the show, and we were lucky to have a, a full bar at yeah. the end of the night. Um, so like a nice percentage of the 3,000. Not the full 3,000, but like a damn good amount of people got to see you. And a lot of people who had no idea who you were, and had not seen your show before who now were just, you know, sticking around because they heard you guys playing and you made, you know, got some new fans. And I saw you guys, you know, handing out CDs. To be yeah, the show. we it was were really giving cool. out some CDs, making some friends, getting some phone numbers and, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. it was a really fun night. So that was, so 
we are recording this on uh, Monday, and this was two days ago. This was Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Saturday night, um, July 7th. Um, yeah. Every year, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes host a summer block party, party. Yeah. on the Stone Pony summer stage on the Saturday night of 4th of July, July weekend. They've been doing it for years. Uh-huh. It is the biggest show in Asbury Park every and you year. And got to play and, on it. That was and, cool. And yeah, what a privilege. I mean, seriously, I, I feel... I, I can't even begin to express how grateful I am for this experience. Um, and it's definitely something that I'll take with me oh, throughout yeah. the rest of my music career. Yeah, no, it's a, um, it's a really kind of uh, cool thing. Now, with your band, you know, I think it's been, you know, really cool. And you guys have been doing a lot of awesome stuff. Uh, you guys have an album. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we do. So we have an album that is available on Apple you know, Music, Spotify, and all the, everywhere all else. The album, yeah. All the album <laughs> places, all the music places. So that came out when? That came out... That came out January 20th. So about a year after starting the band, you guys came out with an album. Yeah, it was our first songs. full length. Yep, all original music, uh, full length, 40-minute album. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we released it, and then we released it along with a music video for a single that we were pushing, I Just Want to Find Home, um, which I was lucky enough to have Michael Yay, direct. Me transitioning into talking about myself. My Yay. favorite thing. Um, um, but no, Michael <laughs> Michael directed the music video for us. Uh, f- for... Yeah, yeah, here you go. You're so good. I Just Want to Find Home. And... Oh, yeah, good. There we go. We're back. Sorry about that, I'm gonna, We had a little technical issue on our end. We're just um, going to cut that. Um... But yeah, no, we got we got Michael to direct the music video, and he did a fantastic job. Yeah, so the album, the music video came and, out, and the came out, and then like what a week later, the day, the, the next day, day, the next day was the final show at the Stone Pony for the competition, for the Rock to Top competition that you came in third for. So that was really exciting. And it was so, a very busy time. Yeah, it was a lot, and like it was a lot of the both of us working on stuff together. Because you know, I was editing the video, and he was there, and we were going over every little thing for it, and we're uh, really happy with kind of how it all turned out. And then we had the show and the finals, and it was it was a whole thing. It was a really cool kind of. <laughs> and experience. then we were able to breathe. Yeah, then we remember were able that. To um, and um, you know. Since then, it's just been, you know, traveling to New York and doing the show in Asbury. I've also been curating some shows, and I've also since joined another band called The Fleeting Ends, Uh who are a Philadelphia pop group, and I'm really excited to be playing some shows with them soon. Uh, We haven't played a show together yet, but we've been rehearsing and writing, and it's been really exciting. So let's talk about... Let's talk about you. Yeah, so I guess you know, we're talking about you. I've and run we're out. Talking about me. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you, you, know, you had you know, a great set of stuff. Uh, so I, to give a little background on myself, I am a, I'm from Connecticut, as we talked about earlier in the show. I uh, am a director, uh, writer, filmmaker, um, producer, etc., uh, etc., etc., for kind of the last year and a half, I ran a production company with called The Five Sands with a group of friends of mine. Uh, it was started by my friend Stephen Primero and uh, his best friend Frank Jimenez. They kind of came together to start this production company. They made a short film. They started working on a second film. They asked uh, me to come and work on that film with them and then during that process, we uh, bonded, and I they asked me if I wanted to kind of work 
be part of the, the kind of the group full time. So I ran that company with them from the beginning of 2017 until uh, June of this year, and that was a really great year and a half. And over the course of that time, we made uh, m music videos. We made three music videos. Uh, two of them I directed. One of them was Dino's video that we were just talking about. Um, we made a couple movies, a couple that were a little shorter, a couple that were a little longer. Uh, the last thing I did with them was a directing a big movie uh, called There's a Murder at the End of This Film. It was written by uh, a friend of mine, Kirsten Sills, and it, she wrote it uh, about these two people, these two women who are in a relationship with each other. They uh, break up prior to the start of the film, and it opens with one of the girls knocking on the other girl's door going, hey, I miss you, take me back, I bought you a puppy. And naturally, the other girl's like, you can't just show up at my door and get me a puppy. Go away. This is why we broke up, because you do things like this. She, and the first girl is like, fine. If you won't take me back and you won't accept my puppy, then I guess I have to kill you. So the film is about her going on this very, very funny, this dark and twisted, hilarious uh, mission to kill her ex-girlfriend. And as we kind of move along with the process for that, we will be giving you, you know, some updates about like when it's coming out and when you can see it. But we filmed that at the end of May. So now we're in the kind of the trenches of post-production and we're editing and we're, you know, starting to have it all take shape. Uh, like I said, Kirsten Sills wrote it. She also played uh, the lead. It also stars uh, our friend Tess Fitzpatrick and uh, Daniel Mello and Caitlin Pagliaro and our uh, dear friend uh, Emma Abrams, uh, the Pomeranian <laughs> puppy, who uh. everybody loves so much. Emma's great. She was a superstar actress and the the best dog that I've ever worked with in a film. Uh, so yeah, that was just a really really great experience, and we're you know moving along, and we are hoping to submit that to festivals and kind of go through all uh, that stuff with it. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I've gotten a chance to read the script. Um, and the gag is actually that Kirsten's my ex-girlfriend. And I was I was a part of the... I was, a sp I was around for... For the, the writing of the film. Yeah, you, know, you were the first person, I think, to read the first scene. I was. Yeah. I was. Because we started... She started writing it about, uh, you know, mid... Like, probably, you know... March, February, March of 2017, right around the time we were starting the band, she started writing this script. We were in a class together. She brought it in. Uh, she yeah, let and you I read, had it. read it the night she before. She let you read it the night before. You came in, read it. Oh, everyone thought it was great. And after she worked on it for a couple months, I approached her and I was like, hey, do you, how would you feel about, you know, developing this into a film and like really going for it? We had been working on a play together at that time. It was our first time working together. And you know, when we sat down to have the meeting, she was like, if we're going to do this, I want you to direct this, and I want to play the lead. That's what we did. And now a year later, we filmed it, and we're moving forward. And, uh, you know, there we go. For sure. And, you know, when I... That night I read that first scene, I was thinking... I couldn't help but think to myself, like, wow, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read, but also I can't wait to see, see what it, this yeah, becomes. No. And, you know... It's Since I like I've to think that it's become something pretty cool. Oh, you know? well, I was going to say, it became exactly what it should have. Yeah. And it's, and it's a perfect airtight script. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I can't wait to see what you do with it. Yeah, well, I mean, you will be the first to see it probably when, uh, once it's all edited together. Ooh. Because, you know, I'm 
working on it primarily upstairs in the in the office. So you know it'll probably be yo Dean come down the hall. They take a look at it, and uh, there we go. You guys might have to wait a little longer to see it, unless, of course, you come and see it at a festival that we're going to be screening at. More on that to be announced in the future. All right. So since then... Since then, uh, I'm no longer with the Five Sands. They're still awesome, and Stephen and Frank are running it with our uh, other really good friend, Ashley Burkhart, who is a sound designer extraordinaire. I also, you know, she's also a musician. I also directed her music video before I directed Dino's. And... uh, they're, you know, still moving along and they're still making movies and still making really cool content. And uh, now I'm doing the more kind of independent creator thing. You know, I love my, you know, millennial influencer mm-hmm. terminology. Um, uh, that thing, and I got some projects line, uh, lined up for the future. Some of them I can't talk about just yet because nothing's really set, and I don't want to commit to anything on well, the Well, what can you tell us about? Oh, I can tell you about my Fringe show. I uh, wrote a play that I've been working on for the past like six months or so, and I'm going to be having a production of it done in uh, September as part of the Philadelphia Fringe Festival, and we're really excited about that. It is called What Happened Between the Dakotas. We are doing it in rep with another play written by a friend of mine, Emily Wanamaker, and she wrote this play called This is a Play About Buttons, and about a, it's about a bunch of people who work in an office who, like, who press buttons for a living and the absurdity that comes with that. My play is about two friends who just graduated college and they go on a road trip to North Dakota because both of their names are Dakota, so they went to the border of North and South Dakota because 2018 is the year we commit to the bit, and they are really going for that. So along the way, they get sidetracked, and they get caught up in all of this wonderful, magical sci-fi extravaganza that forces them to confront themselves and the universe alike and they get there and hopefully maybe they're changed people or maybe they stay exactly the same because that's how life works if you want to find out come see the play it opens in september a very good friend of mine uh allison mudd is directing it she is a superstar and uh, we go into rehearsals in a few weeks and oddly enough it's funny that we're recording this now but just before we hit record, I got a message from my stage manager saying, okay, I'm ready to go, we're ready to send the script to the actors, because, you know, actors Last draft's that good, huh? I, I guess <laughs> so. <laughs> or like more like we have to get it to the actors at some point so they know what they're getting into. Because, you know, we send things to the actors, and uh, when they audition, we sent them snippets and a few pages here or there for them to read so that they can read something and we can know whether or not they're good for the roles and then we cast them accordingly. So we casted the actors. We, I, not we, I rewrote some scenes of the play and now it's good to go. So tonight's the night. Tonight's the night that the actors are getting the full script and they're really going to know what they're getting into. Well, let me ask you, Michael, how are you feeling about this last draft? I feel good about it. It's kind of at the point where I've just been working on it, working on it, working on it, working on it, and now it's just time for them to read it. It's time for other people to get it into the hands of the actors so that we can then I'll sit down and I can hear all the words spoken out loud and I can go, oh my God, this is terrible. I need to change the whole thing and rewrite <laughs> all the lines so that they sound natural. So like it, it's uh, a weird kind of thing because you got to kind of stop yourself from just like going through it and playing around and 
changing things and changing lines because at this point it's just kind of getting impatient. So it, it takes a certain level of self-control on my end to breathe for a little bit and um, let just the script rest for a little bit, step away from it, let the actors read it, let the director kind of gather everything together, have us all uh, sit down and then we're all gonna read it together and we're gonna keep moving and have our rehearsal process and then the show's gonna go up. And if everything's going the way you know we all feel it's gonna go, then hopefully it'll be really, really good and it'll be a smash success and everyone in the world will see it and love it. But Well, I know I can't wait to see it either way. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm excited. It's gonna be going up in the Philadelphia Fringe, Fringe Festival. Festival uh, second weekend of uh, September. So. Now that you guys at home or wherever you are listening to this in the car or at the gym or, you know, at your friend's house or maybe at our house because we're like, listen to our podcast, <laughs> hey, listen, to <laughs> listen to our podcast. We love it. Sit down and we make you sit on the couch and listen to the whole thing. Are we those people? I hope not. But like, who knows? Maybe we really like this. The time has come for us to introduce our guest for the evening. The guest, as we mentioned before, is Dante Green. He is a playwright, musician composer, musical theater writer, uh, actor. He, uh, what am I forgetting? He's in a band. He plays like a million instruments. I think he plays eight or nine instruments. Yeah, we'll have to ask him when he, you know, when he comes on and we get into it. But we're going to be talking to him about his plays, about his music, about his work as an actor, and all that really, really awesome stuff. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest, Dante Green. All right, so we've got Dante with us here. Hey, Dante. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Dante. <laughs> going well. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We're glad to have you. It's our first episode, so we're thrilled to have you here for the, our first, first guest. Yeah, we're, we were just like, we wanted to start with a bang. Oh, So we, you know, we exciting. were like, who's like the most... Dante's got that bang factor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm honored. Thank you. Dante's got that bang ability. Yo, stop. <laughs> he just got, Dino, he just got. What are we, what are we talking about? We're we already scaring him away. We are talking about Dante Green. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snatch this from you. Um, we are talking about, we are talking to Dante Green, and we're going to talk to you about your theater stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about your music stuff. We might play a little bit of your music stuff for the people listening so they know what's up. Um, so I think first, let's, talk a little bit about this new music project you got going on. So, Markel. Markel. Spelled M-R-Q-L. Mm -hmm. You guys released uh, a song called Better, parentheses, Party in the Car. Yes, we did. Uh, what was that, like a couple weeks ago? Yeah, we released yeah. it on June 1st. Nice. So, a little over a month ago. Yeah. Uh, we've listened to it. It's really cool. We've really listened like to it more than once. It's a bop. To, yeah, it's a, yeah, <laughs> it's a really cool bop. So how did this kind of project come together? Because I know at one point you had a different band, mm -hmm. and now you're doing this thing. So like, what's the... I said this to Dino when we were talking about his band earlier. What's the, what's the story here? How did this come together? Yeah, so the, so like the plan that happened with Markel was... Um, it was sort of like always around, like I started working under the name Markel actually when I was a freshman in college. Um, and what that project was, was sort of just like 
the beats and different things that I like produced on Logic um, that I would just like post to SoundCloud like throughout the year. And so it was just a lot of instrumental music and just like, you know, sort of like more experimental stuff for me and not necessarily stuff that I wanted to like showcase to people, but I just sort of wanted to put out there and keep in practice as far as like different um, musical genres go. Um, and then this past summer, I started working on a lot more um, like studio recorded music. I started like um, trying to dabble in like the genres of like hip hop and like, um, you know, these sort of like gospel influenced sounds that are happening with like Chance the Rapper and like things like that. Um, and so as I was working, I was also hanging out with Patrick Campbell a lot, who is a good buddy of mine. I had also just got introduced to this guy named Ron in a different project. And so, you know, hanging out with them while I was also working on my music, they just really enjoyed my music. And so we started writing music together. And it all just kind of... And it all, yeah. Yeah, It, it yeah, really yeah. just, like, blended eventually. And Party in the Car was, like, we sat down, we decided, we were, like, we want to write a summer anthem. And so we were writing this song, and it was, like, super ballady at first. And we were, like, this is not going to be a summer... Um, you, we a want summer. the summer bop, we're, and we this is, like, the summer slow jam. Right, Right, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were, like, this isn't it... Let's put it down. We'll come back to it. And then when we came back to it, we started building the song. And so we wanted it to start from the ballad that we, you know, first thought of. And we wanted to build to the anthem that we had in mind in the first place. And so, you know, the writing process was pretty organic as far as, like, who was going to sing what, who was writing for each section. Um, and we recorded it in about, like, I don't know, like three or four days. And then I produced it a little bit more, mastered it. Well, attempted to master it because I'm also <laughs> still learning, to be honest. Aren't we all? Uh, yeah. Um, and so I mastered it and then, you know, threw it up like two weeks later online. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah and I think, I mean, I would love to hear your opinion on this as well. But I think the thing that really gives it that that build up to the bop because it does start out ballady, like mm -hmm. you say, and, and, and it becomes that bop. And I think that's through the production. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would agree. Like the song, you know, it doesn't change tempo or anything where we still have the same foundation foundation that we started with at the beginning of the song. Um, it was more so after we recorded the vocals and the raps and everything, we really wanted to build it and make it as big as possible towards like the climax of the song. Um, and, you know, I think the way that we did that was in, like, a lot of the 808s, like, in the percussion and the bass that we were, we were messing with, and, um, we were doing, uh, horns, uh, towards, like, the choruses and things like that, um, which is, like, um, not something that, like, I've really worked with before. Were um, you using live horns? Uh, we were not using live horns for this specific recording, but, um, as we... You know, as we continue to work together, we hope to like play live and bring more people into the project and hopefully bring live horns into the project as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. And speaking of the live performance, you know, we're actually really happy to have you on a house show at yeah. the end of August. Um, can you let us in on a little bit of that? And yeah. what's what's going on there as far as building up for the first Markel live performance? Yeah, I mean, so like I said, Markel really started as like a studio project in my room. And so, you know, when you had asked me to do this house show, I was really excited to 
um, sort of build this super band of, you know, a group to try and like produce the live sound that we had um, recorded in the room. Um, and we're still working on it, honestly. And I'm also away doing something else right now. So uh -huh. um, when I come back, that'll be the priority. Um, but right now we have Patrick Campbell on the project. We have Ron Shaw, um, Michaela Rada, and uh, Taryn Scott. And then um, we're still building the rest of the group. Right. And is that Taryn and Michaela doing the background vocals at the end? Yeah, uh, it's Michaela doing the background vocals. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Nice. Um, I did have one other question. Oh, yeah. I, I just thought it was really interesting that... Um, you mentioned that you know you started out as a bedroom musician as, in a sense with this mm -hmm. and it, and now it's evolving into something that is a live project and you know the two biggest influences that i hear on the record are chance the rapper mm -hmm. and frank ocean yeah. who also are you know bedroom musicians first and then it evolved into something that people really wanted to see live so i think that that's a that's testament it. to what you're doing Thanks, you know man. yeah a of nice course like kind of flow to it of like okay they sort of here and then we ended up here and now like you're trying to like it's a it's a similar kind of in terms of building the project it seems like it's living in a similar stepping point yeah. you know hopefully you know fingers crossed that like people you know flock and you know yeah. give you it's all been that getting luck. a lot of buzz so far i'd actually love to hear what you have to say about that i mean i i know you've been I know that Spotify allows you to like track your plays. I don't know if Apple Music does as well, but I know is yeah. it performing well? I mean, I I know a lot of people around here are really buzzing. Yeah, I mean, as far yeah, as far as all the music platforms go, uh, they release their like sales reports and information at different times. So there are a few that I ha I'm actually not sure how they're doing yet. But as far as Spotify goes, it is doing pretty well. It's fluctuating um, quite a bit in the numbers of uh, the listeners and. We're really excited about it because, um, you know, one of the things that we had talked about when we started working on this project was that we w felt that it was really important to record music and get music to people so that we can start building a following so that when we do play live, there are, you know, there are yeah. people to see us. That's <laughs> probably the way to do it. Yeah. And it's funny because when I, when I started The Intruders, we actually started out as a live band first. We didn't go into the studio and record an album until after the first year. So we had been right. playing... We had been playing a bunch of live shows, and we didn't have anything to give people or anything for them to necessarily take home with them. Yeah, totally. I, I definitely think that launching a project with a studio recording is probably the the smarter way to go about it, just because <laughs> yeah. it's something tangible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, thanks. I mean, hey, we live and we learn. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a first for me. I mean, I had done a similar thing um, that you just said with a, a previous band that I was in. Was that Darling Run? Yeah, that was Darling nice. Run. Right. Um, yeah. And we had been together. We had been together for I think a year or two before we were recorded our first album and our first album was a christmas album so oh yes. really yeah. <laughs> so like so like that was like super temporary love those holiday prog jams I, oh i i love them <laughs> i love a good christmas album but like you know we recorded this album um and started releasing it in like you know thanksgiving in the thanksgiving area and then like after a month goes by you can't really hand these to anybody anymore right right um so yeah um Here's my here's my Christmas album. Listen to it next year. Next year, yeah, it's like uh, really really cool stuff. So I have a question for you. So you released the first song. Mm -hmm. You guys made it. You put it out. You know, people. You know, in our 
circles who it's kind of, you know, making its way, making the, the rounds through, you know, seem to be really responding to it, which like is super awesome and super cool. So now, you know, I assume, you know, you're going to keep, you know, keeping the train moving forward. I wonder kind of after you did the first one going mm -hmm. into the next ones, how like the writing process or the producing process of it is kind of shifting or if you're like evolving or like honing in on certain things kind of after the release of the first mm -hmm. one. Well, I mean, I think after the release of the first song, uh, like I said before, I, I went I went away for a little bit and I'm still away. And so I think mm -hmm. um, what's been really great about that is that we've all, mm -hmm. as a group, have been able to like sort of sit back, go back to our own lives and um, listen to this song when we want to and go back to it and learn from it. Um, and so I think when I come back, we're going to really be honing in on a lot of like the business oriented things that have to do with like being a music artist, which mm -hmm. is like, you know, like branding yourself, trying to figure out what sort of sound you want to create for yourself and what sort of like story you want to tell all of those things. Um, but I think as far as like the writing process goes, we're still going to try and keep it pretty organic. And actually we have been like, um, sort of like messaging little ideas and mm -hmm. songs back and forth to each other as we've been away from each other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're still going to be recording in my bedroom and we have a plan to release an EP, but we're not really sure when. Um, but, you know, before I left, we actually had recorded about five songs already. Oh, cool. So we have a bit mm -hmm. of a stock going on as we continue to like work um, and uh, build our discography. Nice, nice. Now you say organic, um, and I would I would love a little more insight on that. Um, so you know, take something like Party in the Car, which we'll listen to in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Who wrote what? So as far as Party in the Car goes, I would say that the majority of the song is written by Patrick and Ron, and the way that it sort of happened is I laid down the instrumental for the song, like the instrumental bass for it. And Patrick came over and he was like, I really like this, I wanna write to this. And I was like, sure, go ahead. And really what it was, was me continuing to produce while, him, while he was next to me writing down lyrics in his phone. And as we were working and as he had things to show me, he would just sing them and I would be like, I like this, I think maybe you could tweak this lyric a little bit like this. Like it was really sort of an open collaboration as far as the lyrics uh, went. Um, and then as it came to time to start recording stuff, I was actually sort of the one who was like, is it okay if I sing this part? And then I think you would sound really good on this. I think Ron's section can come in here. And Ron being um, a sort of different rapper stylistically than what me and Patrick can, uh, usually do, um, he actually wrote his own section completely. Ah, uh, so he wrote his verse. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. So what we did was me and Patrick sort of split up the stuff that he wrote, and then Ron uh, brought in the section that he wrote, um, and then we sort of fleshed it all out together and ad-libbed together to like sort of like keep the flow going between all of us. Yeah, for sure. Those collaborative juices are great. I know I, I love that feeling of like, you know, just being down in the basement with my friends and not really, you know, we have an idea of what we want, but creating it together rather than just doing it by yourself. Because, totally. you know, you and I have experience doing both things. Yeah. And I definitely think that the the collaborative environment is a little more free, right? Oh, I would say so. And I would also say, like, I mean, strong opinion, but I think that the more 
you know, minds and the more people that you have on a sort of writing or generating project, the better it's going to be because the more perspectives you have, the more um, sort of like intellectual nuances that you can get into this one song that are going to reach more people. Absolutely. And, you know, the it's, you know, it's a double-sided coin because having a lot of people on a project also sometimes results in it feeling a little manufactured, which is something that totally. is always a bummer when you hear a new pop song by a recording artist that you love and you're like, oh, I can tell eight people wrote this. Right. You it's know like what I mean? Is, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like this is a formula that you have like just like sort of like put in the numbers for it. Right. I, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like when you get... um these types of like creative projects, it always ends up being really, really interesting because like, like, you know, Dean was saying like, it can be super freeing mm -hmm. because there's this whole idea of like, okay, anybody can kind of say anything cause you know, you're brainstorming, which means like you could have an idea that you're a little nervous about, throw it out there. And then someone else could be like, okay, not really, you know, or not yeah. or the, the constructive, nice, what if, okay, yes, and, you know, version of that, where it, it doesn't really end up happening. Or there's the version of it where you throw it out there and someone goes, yes, this is it. Right. So it's, it's different because when you're doing stuff by yourself, it's like, okay, you write it, especially, you know, and then if it's music, then it's like, okay, maybe you make yourself a little demo and then like, okay, you there, it's there, you did it, you wrote it, it's done. And then you're kind of showing it to people as like a whole mm. and then it's more big picture as opposed to like put in like kind of different pieces together. Right, 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 totally. And I think that like um, what's been really great about working with Patrick and Ron is that they have been really open to like sort of making sure that the writing process is like a sort of safe space. Like they're not going, I mean, no one censors themselves right. as far as like when we're writing something and I think it's corny, Ron thinks it's corny, Patrick thinks it's corny, like we're going to say something. Right. And, and like, it's been really great to do that. Um, and I've been, you know, working with Patrick for quite a number of years now. Um, but even just getting to know Ron, working with Ron, he has not held back at all as far as like being vulnerable and being um, open and being direct as far as like the sound that we want to make and like the the work that we want to like uh, showcase for ourselves. Right, because it's always cool when you're in an environment where like it's a group of people working on stuff and then you really feel like, okay, without any of you people being here, like even if one of you left into something else, it'd still be the group, but it wouldn't be like quite exactly the same because right. each, it feels like one cohesive voice, but it's a cohesive voice made up of a bunch of different things. And I think that, that that's kind of, that's just a really cool, you know, relationship to, to have with other people. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And it's so funny that you bring up, you know, losing a member of a collaborative project because, you know, another, pro another sound that this really reminds me of is, I, I don't know how familiar you are with Brockhampton. Uh, I'm not really. Not, yeah. Well, Brockhampton's what, 16 pieces? It's like something <laughs> ridiculous. There's like, you know, it's this boy band hip hop group, and there's like, I don't know exactly how many there are, but it's like more than sh you would normally think to be in a boy band hip hop group. Like, there might mm. be like 10 of them in this okay. group. Like, it's this whole many people, but like, you know. Wow, I thought Brockhampton was like one person. No, it's no. like 12 <laughs> people. Wow. You know, and then like, you know, obviously, you know, you get like Kevin Abstract, who's like the main guy, but then you also got, um, you know, 
one of the other guys, um, Amir, right? Yeah, yeah Amir. Yeah, Amir, Amir Van, the... Yeah, he where he got in some trouble with you know sexual uh-huh. harassment stuff, and they were supposed to come out with an album in June, and they said, "Nope, you're fired from the band, and we're wiping all your verses from the new album, and we'll let you know when it's going to come out." I think they're even scrapping all the material. They might be scrapping everything. So I mean, like, we're not, you know. Uh, Reporters, so we don't know, you know, all the details of the the story. But like, that's the thing where it's a group of people who we're now are going to see, like, okay, here's the group who released like four things, and now they're going to release another thing without one of their key members, and it'll be really interesting to see how it goes. Definitely, yeah. Now I'm wondering too about Markel because it is, you know, it's it's something that has a single out, but also it still feels like it's in like the incubator phase, Mm -hmm. right? It's still it's a new project. Yeah, Um, baby project. Is it growing? Are new people getting involved? Yeah, I would I would say so. Like. I mean, what Markel is, is, and you know, the name is derived from my middle name, um, and it's sort of like, you know, like I said, the project started from, um, you know, just being me in like my bedroom in college. And so like, what I think the project is, is like the people that I want to work with, and I think that that group is always going to be changing. Um, But as as we are um, just getting started and just growing right now, I think like, you know, we know for a fact that we want, you know, Patrick and Ron to be on this piece, and we, and um, I really want to continue um, my collaborations with them, um, but as far as, like, the rest of the people that are going to be um, molding and blending this uh, group as we continue to perform live and as we continue to record, I think it's always going to be changing. Yeah, because that was something that I was curious about. Because I remember we had actually spoken briefly a couple days ago, like back on the Fourth of July. Mm-hmm. I think we had had a you know brief conversation about how like you had said something like, "Oh, it's you know whoever kind of ends up in my bedroom like ends up kind of recording on it." Yeah, and I think that like I was one of the things that I was wondering about was like, okay, like it how to what extent does it kind of fluctuate for like who's always there who's sometimes there who was there one time it did one really cool thing yeah. yeah i mean i think it depends on i mean it depends on a lot of things i think it depends on like where we end up going with this project as far as like where we're going to be playing and like what types of you know um what types of sounds different people bring to the project and like what each venue and sort of activity that we do um, needs. Um, So I think that like, you know, just because we play with one set group of people, for example, at this house show with Dino, doesn't necessarily mean I think that like- The same group of people is gonna, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Cool, so it's kind of this ever-changing kind of evolving yeah, evolving it's like, thing. It's almost like a community. Like if yeah. you record on the project then you're part of the project. project. Um but you know if you have things to do not everybody is there at all times so it's a little bit of like a this cycling thing where there's this kind of co- you're probably going to have like some sort of core group and then different people changing faces. Come, yeah, changing yeah, yeah. faces. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, cuz that almost that almost reminds me a little bit of Wolfpack where like yeah. you know Jack and Theo are always there, and yeah. then you know sometimes Antoine's like, there, and sometimes like, Corey's there, right. and you know what I mean. Like it's yeah, just yeah. they they just show up as they want to because right. you know people are busy should. and everybody's in a million different projects as yeah. everybody, especially there. at this point. You know, at this when point, you're a 21 year old musician, you're in anything that you can, right? Because you know something that like I talk a lot about when um, I talk about like all the things that I do is it's like okay when you're in college and you're an artist creator type um, and you can kind of do multiple things a lot of it is just like okay i'm gonna kind of try everything Mm -hmm. and if 
everything has a one in a million shot of like becoming successful. If I just do a million things, <laughs> one of them's gonna stick. So yeah, I think you kind of have to have a little bit of that mentality because you know, while you had then whittle it down and you commit to certain things, I think there's a part of you that just kind of like has to keep trying new stuff. Yeah, totally. I would agree. I mean, I think it's always great to be exploring a bunch of different things and. Um, you know, I don't think you should ever have to tie yourself down to one thing, especially at this age, like you said. For sure. Now, with with Markel, you know, and also, you know, even not with Markel, because, you know, you have your past with Darling Ron, and also you have your musicals that you're composing. So, like, I want to know, what what are you listening to? What, is, what are the influences? What is Dante like? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, you already said, like, my top two favorite artists, Chance the Rapper and Frank. Oh, Ocean. they're your favorites? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Favorites. A Childish Gambino is also a big Ooh. favorite. Um, Tyler, the creator, with his album Flower Boy, um, sort uh, of uh, brought yeah. him up in the ranks. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. We actually both went, saw him. Yeah. Saw him back a few months ago. It was, you know, fantastic. We're both, like, yeah. super, super into him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, great, great he's stuff. Great. And then I also have, like, this sort of, like, I don't know, this influence of like 80s music that is oh, just like nice. constantly like coming <laughs> up in my life like i'm a really really big prince fan and i have been mm. for a really long time um i also really love like music like tears for fears and like oh really that, yeah yeah and like that's sort of like songs from the blue chair yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and also like 80s sounding music as well like um the band Porches is a band that I really, really enjoy. Um, Blood Orange. Um, so a bunch of different stuff. And I wouldn't say I don't like anything. Like, I definitely listen to, like, you know, trap music. Um, I listen to, like, a lot of the other sort of, like, gospel influences and things like that. Um, but, yeah, that's what yeah. I listen to. And so what is it? Oh. A, a Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was fearing go. that this would happen. There we go. It um, happened the first. Let's go. Let's both go to ask a question. Here, you take it. You're go- you're on a roll. Let's why? Keep thank going. you. Um, what is it that you find that you're getting from each of these artists? I mean, you know, take the guys that you know are common ground for us: Childish Gambino and Tyler Creator and yeah. Prince. You know, what what is it that you're getting from their music that you feel like you're inserting into yours? Well, I think I'll. I mean, something that I really love about them is that they're telling their own personal stories and they're not really like um, censoring them, but they're also, you know, as they're telling their stories about like their past and their like upbringings, they're like bringing those influences with them. Like they're not trying to create a sort of sound that's going to fit into this uh, sort of pop model that we have with like electronic music and a lot of uh, different um, sort of uh I don't know, industrial sounding uh, genres that are like uh, super popular. Um, And they're also bringing in a lot of, um, you know, live instrumentation, which has sort of been like slipping away as well. Um, You know, I think uh, choirs are always really, really fun to add into hip hop music. And so like, you know, Chance's uh, gospel influences and his like choir samplings that he does, I think is really, really great. Yeah, I think he even had uh, Kirk Franklin on Coloring Book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you know uh, sort of like the Corey Henry style ah. like, organ playing and like things like that um, are really what I'm into. I'm also, I've also 
been really into um, a lot of the rap that has been coming out of these artists too. Um, although I'm not necessarily a rapper, I would say that Patrick Campbell has also um, been heavily influenced by these artists. And I think that's why uh, we can collaborate pretty well because um, he can write a lot of the verses that I really want my music to sound like, um, you know, while I can um, sort of like do the producing side of mm -hmm. that. Yeah, being behind the boards is certainly an experience. Yeah. Michael, you had a burning question. <laughs> I want to I hear this. Actually, I'm really glad that you went first because this actually, I think, works better as a follow-up to your question. Um, my, what's something that I'm curious about is, you know, we're talking about, like, your influences, but, like, I think one of the cool things about this being a group is that you have all these other people. Was there anyone else that, like, like a specific artist that, like, uh, someone like uh, Patrick or Ron or, you know, when it, somebody else brought to the table as, like, this is someone who super influenced my work that, like, maybe you weren't as familiar with or you weren't as influential to you but now has found their way kind of into the, into the mix. You Honestly, not yet. Like, we have been pretty much on the same page as far as, like, what our influence is and how we want our music to sound based off of these other people. I mean, the only person I would say, like, maybe a little bit is um, Patrick brought in a lot of J. Cole's music mm -hmm. to sort of, like, use as an example of of what he wants um, some of his, like, verses and things to sound like. Um, but I am you know, a J. Cole fan. I don't necessarily listen to his music a ton, but I, um, I think it's, like, in that same realm uh -huh. of, like, what we have been talking about musically. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it all kind of fits into that same kind of conversation. Totally. For sure. So why don't we, uh, why don't we go ahead and spin yeah, it? Let's, let's give it a listen. A so this is uh, Better Party in the Car by Markel. Funny how things change Funny how you breeze atop my shoulder Never asked you to You're just passing through But oh, I could have told you You don't deserve the view Funny how you switched up Funny how we fell in love And fell right out of it Ends. But oh, you could have told me that I was just a friend Yes, so oh, I could have told you summer would come again You flipped the script, your shoulder colder than a winter leaf Left me with the plethora of all our broken memories and Hennessy I need your vitamin D you know you're vital and you're acting like a part of the piece Part of my life, part of you is harder to read So I dug up the soil and I planted a seed And now I'm stronger I'm better Now you're mad from the way I move Ain't got shit to prove I'm just living life and I'm in my youth Got no time to lose Stop it. 
smoking dope in the coast. No longer thinking about you. You look me dead in my eyes and you said pretty words, but that shit wasn't true. I took you home to me, mama. I thought you was mine, but I ain't have a clue. Thought it was love, but it's nothing but drama. I'm plying on what I should do. You say you love me, but now I'm like, fuck it, so please get the fuck out my room. We couldn't make it to June. Put what we had on the tomb. Now that shit dead, a crown on my head. You used to be queen, but you lose. Can't lie, I was sad, but I don't feel bad, cause all of my hundreds is blue. Yeah. All right, so that was better party in the car by Markel. Um, I actually had a few questions about listen, uh, a few questions about that. Listening to it again, um, shoot. I so I saw this really interesting video last week um, of John Mayer talking about how he like wrote and produced New Light, which is his new single. Okay. And one thing that he talks about in it is like using auto tune as an instrument, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting because you know most people use auto tune to hide the fact that they can't sing. Mm-hmm. But like I know you, and I know you're a good singer, so like you're using auto tune for more of a purpose in this can you talk about that a little bit yeah i mean i would say auto-tune comes from a place of like um you know my like sort of like 80s influences and like um you know porches being one of um my favorite artists uses auto-tune quite a bit in his music um and you know while i do think i can sing I don't think I have the best recorded voice. Um, so it is also a bit of a safety for me as well. But it is also like a stylized thing that I 
like the sound of it as well. Because it gives it that hip-hop, you know, that very present contemporary sound. Totally. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. And the the other question was just, where'd you get those 808 sounds? They sounded great. Logic. They're I use just Logic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Logic, and I'm using a MIDI keyboard, and it's just a lot of mixing them to sound the way that I want to and things like that. Yeah, dude. It sounds great. Thank I love you. the kick. Thanks so much. That was, yeah... So we can uh, we can go ahead and move on to yeah um, we're gonna we're gonna have a nice smooth transition from <laughs> talking about music, and now we're talking about theater. Whoa! Great. All right. So let's talk about this like this play of yours. So it's called an incomplete list of everything. No, of, of all, all the of the things. things I'm going to miss <laughs> when the world yes. is no longer. Yes. Great. Colon. I got it. <laughs> Short sure and to the was, point. I wasn't yes. sure if it was world <laughs> or earth, but it's the I, world. The world, the world is no longer. So, uh, you're doing it in Bloomsburg. You're doing it back in uh, your hometown. Yes. And this is the second time you've done a production of the show. Yes, it is. All right. So why don't you give you know the people listening who didn't see the first time you know what what what's going on here? What's this about, man? Okay, an incomplete list of all the things I'm going to miss when the world is no longer, is a party, right? And it is a show that is about, you know, all of, it's about a social circle um, who finds out that the world is going to end, and it is following these people, um, you know, the, event, uh, the events before the world ending. And so there are people who try to um, mend relationships, there are people who try to find love. There are people who try to just find comfort in death. Um, and there are people who really want to just freaking party and, you know, throw everything against the wall and sort of have a very transformative moment. And so it's all of these different personality types uh, gathered together in this space. Um, and it's sort of an experiment on my part in my writing um, to try and write um, non-linearly um, while also still trying to put together like one cohesive narrative. Um, so, you know, the cast has eight people in it. Um, it's under the model of a party, uh, but we often sort of like take a step out to look at um, their lives, um, you know, in a more personal and intimate settings as well. Nice. Yeah. There you go. That's the synopsis. That's a, that's it, a play. That's a that's script. A, that's Thanks. a script. Thanks, like, yeah. Dante was a little nervous about summa- well, summarizing his play. We, before before I we think you got, got into the, you know, the conversation <laughs> before we started recording, we had a little discussion about how like it's always weird to like describe the things that you're working on, especially plays where it's like, okay, I wrote this two-hour show, and now I have three sentences to tell you everything about it in a way that's like, Super cool. I don't know. I think totally. that was it. That sounds awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so now here's where we get to ask you questions about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have I have a question. <laughs> What's your question, Dino? Um. So where where do you find yourself in this piece? Ooh, where do I find myself? Okay. Well, the piece comes out of something that is like very personal to me. I was writing the piece um, about. Um, people in my life at the time. And so, you know, um, there's a little bit of um, my parents and, like, their dynamic going on in the show. There's a little bit of, like, what my life dynamic was like at the time going on in the show. Um, 
And, you know, as I was developing this piece and working on it for the first production in the Fringe Festival, um, sort of a lot of dramatic events happened in my life, um, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and that sort of um, transformed a lot of the ways that I think in a lot of the ways that I work in a lot of the ways that I write. And it also definitely um, changed like the sound of my music. So as I was writing this play, I thought it was going to be a play. I ended up writing quite a, a bit of music over that summer, um, which was last summer. Um, so it's a musical. It is a musical. This okay, is a cool. musical now. Um, and so last summer when I was working on this piece, and I was writing all of these songs, they came out of very personal places, um, but after like um, thinking about it and listening to them again, I found that they could have a place in the show. And so I'm building, I, I was building this show around these sort of like, um, sort of like foundational musical moments in the, in the piece. So last summer when I had produced it, there were three big song numbers in the piece. And now, as I'm coming back and working on it again after a year, um, I'm developing it towards being more of a musical. I'm adding a lot more music into the uh, piece that I have been working on over the past year, and also that I've been working on specifically for this project. And it's also an opportunity for me to actually sit down and focus on one piece and sort of revise it to the point of being producible and to the point of being out of my hands eventually, which is not something that I have done in a while. I really like to sort of like get my hands in as many things as possible and like work on as many projects as possible. And often that doesn't allow me to um, really dive deep into something. Mm -hmm. And so this is the first time that I've had another opportunity to work on one of my pieces, and I'm really excited to get to do that. Yeah, cool. So this is, you kind of were just going into this, so like, I was kind of keep pushing this forward. So in the development from like doing it last time to then doing it this time and rewriting it and adding new music, like, you know, other than the development of it being a musical, like, I wonder like, what surprised you? like? in the rewriting process like what was there that like came out or like because of the music or just in the pro natural writer's process of kind of recreating it like was there anything that was like what was unexpected that came out that ended up the play ended up kind of reshaping around uh, throughout the well I would say that I mean the play itself is uh really you know philosophical mm -hmm. and asks a lot of like hippy dippy questions about life and what happens after you die and all of these things. And, you know, being very young, uh, as I continue through my own journey and experiences, I'm picking up little bits and pieces and perspectives about all of those things. And, you know, the way that I feel about life and the way that I feel about death right now is, starkly different than the way that I felt last summer. I mean, I was in a really, really low place, and I would say that right now I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm working on a lot of things, and um, I'm coming to the piece in a sort of different light than I have been in the past. And so it's really, um, you know, it's been a time for me to sort of like mine um, the more lighthearted parts in the show, but it's also been a time for me to, um, you know, rethink a lot of the 
personal moments in the piece and rethink the rules of the piece to make it more um, removed from myself and uh, be uh, to be like a sort of standalone piece, if that makes sense. For sure. And, you know, hearing you talk about that makes me really wonder um, how have your thoughts on life and death changed over the last year? Because, you know. Yeah, I mean, well... Last year was, you know, last year was sort of like a really difficult year for me. I had lost my dad um, and I had like been in a lot of um, really complicated life situations and very dramatic things had happened. And so I had a very um, pessimistic view on life and also um, sort of like a very um, angered perspective on it because I was just like, you know, processing. nobody, yeah. yeah, processing, and also nobody knows what happens after you die, and so it's like <laughs> in that sort of like really annoyed space, almost of just like I wish I knew what was going on, and I really don't. Um, and so now coming back to the piece, you know, uh, death and sort of like grief isn't something that is as extremely present in my life right now and the more present emotions uh, lend to more positive aspects and so I've been thinking about the piece as um, more about the life as aspects more about like the things to enjoy about life and like the things um, to really be focusing on as you are going through this journey um, of existing and so I've been trying to add a lot of that um, into the show and like I've been thinking about you know just being um, a little bit more uplifted than I have been in the past. So it sounds to me like you're saying you know being a year removed from a very traumatic experience your focus has shifted a little bit you know you, you were thinking a lot about like oh my god what happens when we die and now mm -hmm. it's almost it, it sounds to me it's like it's almost a little bit of a who cares what happens when we die because like all we have is this. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that exactly. Like, not who cares what happens um, when we die, but more so, let's not focus on that part. Like, mm -hmm. more so, that's not the part you know. Why don't we focus on the part that we do know about? Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds a lot like what's happened over the past year is just a lot of like maturity, both just for from you and from life because you know that's what happens but then also like that in the show so it'd be really i'd be very you know i didn't get a chance to see it when you guys did it last year but it'd be i think it'd be interesting to see get the perspective of someone who kind of saw both productions like from both from the outside to see kind of like where that more adult growth kind of finds totally. its way in. I yeah. think that that's what's really cool about kind of letting these projects evolve over yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. It's also, you know, I can think more rationally now, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, when I was first working on the piece, it was, like, sort of, like, all emotions that I was just, like, throwing onto a piece of paper. I didn't really care, like, about, like, the narrative. Like, I didn't really care if you got it. Mm. I was more so trying to, like, express something. Right. Whereas now, you know, I'm coming back to it. I am producing this show in a theater house, like which is not something that I did last year. I am producing it like in a place with an audience that like I'm not as familiar with, and mm -hmm. like it's not like a group of people who are going to like get my inside jokes, you know? Right. Um, and so it's it's going to be really nice to, and it has been really really nice to sort of like revise and edit to sort of fit um, the more um, traditional. Uh, 
theater mode. Yeah, of like, okay, this is an audience of people who is coming to see my play, and it's not, it's less of your peers, and it's less of like the people who are like coming down the street to see it. It's you get to kind of let the play exist as the play and right. just see what happens. And I think that that's kind of a good, you know, it's definitely a good experience to have as like a writer and producer and, you know, kind of creator of things. So I'm wondering, you know, we talked a lot about like the growth and how it's changed and evolved. So I wonder, like, how big was the gap between when like you, was there a period of time where you just like weren't working on this and then like came back to it? Or were you always just kind of keeping it kind of at arm's length? Because I got to imagine that when you, you write something and you produce it and you have actors and do a whole performance and then you kind of step away and come back however long it was later, there's always a part of you that's like sees it differently when you go back to do things. I'm wondering if you kind of had that experience. Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, I have a, I have a couple different projects that I'm like focusing on right now as far as like the theater world goes. And so when I had closed the show last year, you know, I I really did like stop working on it really. I because I was focusing on other things. I was trying to work on this other new musical that took a lot of my brain space and it, it took a lot of um collaboration, which is not necessarily what an incomplete list is. Mm-hmm. Um and so you know, it had sort of I had put it on the back burner for a while, but I had always known like this is a piece that I'm really proud of and it's a piece that I want to continue living and I want it to get outside of, you know, the university that I produced it in. Mm-hmm. Um so I had been thinking about it. I had been um, you know, gathering um sort of like dramaturgy and information as I went, but it was really sort of like um, quote unquote organic in the sense that I was like, you know, if I saw something, I would, you know, take note of it, but I wasn't actively doing research for the piece anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't like actively like doing revisions for the piece anymore. Mm-hmm. It was more so if I had thought of something, then I would just like throw it in there. Yeah. Um, and then in, I have been trying to get a production at Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble for quite a number of years now. Uh Um, The production itself has changed um, just because of like who I am and like what I think best represents me. Um, So it wasn't until I finally was able to talk to the artistic director there and like settle on some dates that Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, let's think about or let me think about what show I want to bring back to my hometown as sort of like the first thing that people see of mine in, um, you know, six years or whatever. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, so when I finally confirmed that was when I decided I want to do this piece. um, And when I started um, sort of like taking my... uh, you know, running orders of, like, the things that I needed to work on in order to put the show up again. What about this piece... What about this piece made you want to bring this one to Bloomsburg? Um, I think a lot of the personal aspects of it um, made me want to. um, Since I'm writing from a place of home, I wanted to bring that to my home. And also, um, you know... This is the first piece of mine that has come out of um, really natural, um, like a natural writing process. It has been, you know, 
I'm not writing a true story, but I'm writing a lot of realistic events and mm-hmm. a lot of like real things that have happened. You're in writing my a life. story with truth. Yeah, right. I'm writing a story with truth, which is like right. not yeah. something that I had done in the past. And so I think that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to do this piece because I wanted to write something that was, or I wanted to bring something to Bloomsburg that was like most authentic to what I'm what I'm interested in doing in my future, at, um, in my career, and also like what I'm interested in showcasing myself to be to these people who have known me for so long. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we brought up a similar question when we were talking about the music stuff, but I wonder like from a theatrical or storytelling standpoint, like, where do kind of your influences most kind of come up from? And like, I wonder like if there's certain, like what certain things do you end up kind of cherry picking like from other people that kind of end up in this world that is, you know, wholly your own? Well, I think like a lot of like my influences as far as my music artists mm-hmm. go um, transfer over into the theater world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Excuse me. Um, and like, you know, I think that's like, a lot of the artists that I enjoy are some of like the best quote unquote musical writers. Like right. they're writing albums that are stories and that are journeys and that mm-hmm. are narratives. And so I bring a lot of those influences into my work. I also, to be completely honest, don't enjoy a lot of the musical theater canon as it is right now. Mm-hmm. And so me neither. What <laughs> I, no, yeah. And so what I'm interested in is I'm way more interested in bringing, you know, the stuff that the that popular culture likes, which mm-hmm. is you know all of the music that you listen to on the radio right. onto the stage, right? Um, because why shouldn't all genres of music exist there? Because it's just storytelling. Totally, yeah. and music I mean, is a different kind of storytelling. And then you kind of why shouldn't those different kinds of influences also make their way there and kind of bleed over? Because I always feel like musical theater is such a specific. Yeah, thing when it it doesn't have to be right, and it's always had like a very specific sound and like very you specific know, chord progressions and exactly. right, you know it's like the it's add a, to the <laughs> add, <laughs> add to um, and you know, yeah and like contemporary musical theater like I really enjoy it like if I were to say that the, um, if I were to say w- who has influenced me in like the musical theater canon uh-huh. I would say like. Jason Robert Brown and like um, Jonathan Reed Gelt and like these people who have been writing, um, who write musicals that are about like non fantastical mm-hmm. things and are writing about like more um, human nature and right. like, um, you know, person to person relationships and things like that. I'm really interested in like um, more human qualities in my work and like er, uh, that sounds weird but like <laughs> like i'm interested in like um kind of the just the natural human truth yeah it, I'm, you know? I'm interested in capturing like the day-to-day rather than the fantastic euro musical you know what i yeah, mean yeah no because like and especially when because this play has fantastical elements of it just within the premise alone where it's like okay the world is ending so you know to take something like that and then to Holy ground it in like the very mundane, you know, human to human relationships of it feels like a really nice way of kind of of it grounding yourself because like what you get a lot of when you deal with like fantastical things is you want to talk about 
you know, this verisimilitude, this idea of like, okay, you, it's all this fantastical stuff is happening, but you want to believe that like this, these characters and these people are also just people who totally. it's like, you want to believe that, okay, this person who's going on this big, you know, adventure, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, and this goes beyond theater, this goes to like anything where it's like, you want to believe that, okay, this is a person who gets up in the morning and chooses, goes to their closet, chooses what they're going to wear and they're going to go and they're going to brush their teeth and then they're going to get breakfast and then, you know, outside of the fantastical things that are happening and it feels like a really good instinct to take the magnifying glass to like those moments. Yeah. I mean, thanks. I, I, I mean, what I'm really, really interested in as um, as an artist and as a playwright is sort of like the re the relatability in the simplest of like human qualities. Like, you know, how you were saying like, you know, we all get up and like brush our teeth and we like choose our outfits every day. And like, you know, I, there's something about, there's something that like, ev like everyone is feeling um, on this earth and like I'm really interested in like mining those sort of qualities of like oh I've been there I felt that like I um, and I think the way in which to go about that for me is really honing in on like like you said like the mundane and like the day-to-day -day, um, uh, qualities of life yeah yeah do you find that there are specific characters in this piece that have a little bit more of yourself in them than others because I, I know you were saying before that it's it's it all comes from a, other people as well as yourself yeah i mean i would i would go as far to say that like uh, there is a character that i identify with in the piece yeah i wouldn't necessarily want to say who that character is uh -huh. but like i i would say that i have like kind of written myself into the show yeah for sure. I, I always think it's really interesting when writers talk about how they write themselves into shows because... Because yeah. there's uh, definitely that line, especially just, just from the writer mental health point where it's like, okay, I'm writing a character and this character is basically me, but this character has to have flaws and this character has to get called out for their flaws and oh my God, I'm calling out my own flaws right. and I can't handle this right now <laughs> because I'm at my laptop and it's three in the morning, you know? So it's like you got you don't want to go there, right, but you right. want it, you don't want to completely remove yourself from things. So it's like, it's all about finding that balance, you know? Totally. And I don't think that, that this character, you know, I don't think this character necessarily acts like, like me. I don't think that this character looks like me. Um, but, you know, I would say that um, this, this specific character, like, has a lot of the same ethics as me and a lot of the same, you know, fundamental beliefs on how they go about, you know, their existence. And I would say that the way that I've structured the piece is, um, you know, the set of characters that I have chosen are all people that I know in my yeah. life, you know? Um, I'm writing... Uh, I often like, like as a playwright to um, write for the people that I know because yeah. I like it's really helpful to me uh, to be able to match a very specific voice to the characters that I'm writing. And so a lot of the cast members who are in this show um, for the, the second time, they're playing roles that were written for them. Right. And a lot of um, the other characters, you know, they're not... Um, the characters are not like... 100% representative of these people. Mm -hmm. They just have, like, you know, like I said, there's like just the same some nice qualities. Little, there's, like, an essence, you know, you talk about... Right. Um, but I'm also, like, 
you know, I am also at the same time tying these characters into like my family members oh, yeah, of course. and like, um, you know, the people who have influenced me that like belong um, in this world that I have made. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're at about three minutes left here. Okay. So I want to so go ahead yeah. and uh, tell us when, where we can see this. Okay. So who's involved. Yeah, yeah, so you can see this uh, an incomplete list of all the things I'm going to miss when the world is no longer Woo! at Bloomsburg <laughs> Theater Ensemble in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. I think it's 226 Center Street. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, you know the address. I'm memorizing the address. <laughs> August 17th and 18th, 7.30 p.m. Um, and tickets are not available yet, but there's a Facebook event if you want to check that out. Yeah, I um, saw that up. A cool photo shoot with all the photos. Yes. and like the, oh, Shout know. out to Justin McAndrew for those photos. Yeah, those, those like, are, that stuff looks really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And yeah, you've cool. got a you've got a pretty stellar cast there too. Genevieve. Uh, and oh yeah, Max, yeah. Max and Matt yeah. and Max Van Coy. Yep. yep, Patrick Campbell. Um, we have a list about Sackis. We have Matt Donzella, Taryn Scott. Um, Fanon Murphy, um, yeah. yeah, Marley Gordon. There you go. And it's Marley also did some music for this show as yes, well. Yes, Marley yeah. also helped me out with a couple of the musical numbers in the Oh, piece. nice. Now, cool. with these last few minutes we have left, I, I would love to hear you talk just a little bit about Twelfth Night because that's what you have going on right, right this now, second. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. like Dante, you know, is going back and forth and, you know, took his, his off day to come and talk to us. So, yeah, just like we want to... Yes, yeah, so currently I'm in Center Valley, Pennsylvania, like an hour outside of Philly, I'm working with the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival, and I'm working in a production of Twelfth Night um, with music... Excuse me. A production of Twelfth Night directed by Matt Pfeiffer with music um, by Al- uh, Alex Bechtel. Um, and I'm a musician in this piece. Um, we have been running for about five weeks now. Or sorry, we've been running for about three weeks now. I've been there for about five weeks now. Um, and, you know, I'm playing some accordion. I'm playing Ooh, some nice. cello. I'm playing some mandolin. Lots of things that I've never done before. Um, you know, we were talking about this earlier. How many instruments do you play? I I don't know. If I were to <laughs> guess, if I were to like make an accurate guess, I would probably say like nine. I'd probably play nine. Hey. <laughs> that's My guess was eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. And uh, you s- this is the last weekend, right? This is the last weekend, Tuesday through Sunday. Um, I'm really hoping we can get out there. We got to get somebody to yeah, give us a ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get out here. Yeah, it's um, sounds like it's going to be really fun. So thank you, Dante, for coming on the show and letting us you know, talk to you and for coming and talking to us about your music and theater and all the stuff you're doing. It yeah, was a lot thanks of fun. for having me. Of yeah. course. Come shoot the shit with us whenever you want. You're always yeah, welcome back. Yes, I'll be back. I will be back. All right. Thanks, Dante. Thanks, Thanks, Dante. Well, that was a fun interview, wasn't it? Yeah, that was really good. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) it's cool. So, that's it. We did it. We did an episode. We recorded it. It's out. You guys listened. Thank you for making it all the way through. And yeah, next week we're going to have Carly Spence coming in for an interview. So if you're interested in listening again, uh, you'll get some really great... Please listen again. Yeah, she's super interesting. So you'll you'll get some great material there. Yeah, awesome. So now that you made it all the way through, 
and we made it all the way through and we're getting ready for next week, what you can do in the meantime is you can do the things that you're always being told to do by people who make things that you like. And that is like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and like and subscribe to the podcast, Selling Out Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. And you know all the stuff. You know what to do. You've done this before. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. All right. Bye, guys.